Let's, let's pray again as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word, the Bible. Uh, we thank you that you speak to us. And we pray, please, that as we hear you in the words of Scripture, uh, we might indeed trust you deeper, that you might change us and transform us, grow us in trust, in love, in appreciation of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, having been in the office from early doors, you're about to go and grab just five minutes of fresh air over lunch. Uh, the boss catches you on the way out, surprised that you are taking a break. It's not like that with anyone else. And when you come back five minutes later, you've got a huge stack of work that he's put on your desk. Or it's appraisal time, and this past, work, this past year you've worked really hard, you've done your utmost, and whilst things haven't gone perfectly, you have done a good job. But you're presented with a report that is full of gross exaggerations, painting you in a very unfair light. Or you're working through your, your emails, and you get a particularly aggressive angry, critical email, blaming you for something that you had no hand in. Or you're driving through town right on the speed limit, and there's a van driver behind you flashing his lights, swearing at you because he's in a rush. How are we to respond when we're treated unfairly? How are we to react when we are mistreated? Um, in recent weeks, we've been uh, thinking in 1 Peter all about the importance of doing good. We've been seeing how doing good silences the ignorant talk of foolish people, how doing good kills the evil Christian caricature that lives in some people's heads and puts them off Christ. We've been seeing how doing good is a seriously powerful argument for the gospel, wins hearings for Christ and even persuades critics to become Christians, the importance of doing good. And last week, if you remember, Peter started to unpack for us what doing good looks like. And we saw last week that it looks like honoring and uh, submitting to and honoring authority. Well, this week, uh, Peter takes things further, uh, teaching us how to respond when treated unfairly. And the big lessons of, of these verses is this. It's going to come up on the screen. The big lesson, when you're treated unfairly, don't fight back. Let's just see that um, from these verses from our reading. If you've got a Bible open in front, if you do have a, a look down, we see this right the way through this passage. Verse 18 Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, to your master, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Don't fight back when you're treated unfairly. Or verse 19 and 20, it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Verse 20, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Again, it's the same idea. Don't fight back when treated unfairly. 
or the example of Jesus in verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Like Jesus, we're being called here not to fight back when we're treated unfairly. But hold on, you say, um, didn't I say slaves submit yourself to your master? Slavery. Isn't Peter uh, giving the thumbs up to slavery here? Shouldn't he be calling for slavery to be abolished? Those are quite important questions. Uh, so a couple of things just to say on that. Um, firstly, we've got to see that Peter has, in fact, a very, very high view of slaves. So unlike Roman society at the time, Peter doesn't see slaves as second class or subhuman. He sees them as people made in God's image and therefore having an inherent dignity. So in last week's passage, remember he says, honor the emperor, honor everyone. That includes slaves. So according to Peter, slaves are no less worthy of honor than the emperor himself. That's radical equality. Peter has a very, very high view of slaves. Or think about uh, this week's passage. In Roman culture, very few, few people thought that harming a slave was wrong. But Peter describes their treatment as unjust. And again, that is hugely significant. What he's saying to them is that what is happening to you is wrong. It shouldn't happen. More than that, he, he, he reminds them that God is going to judge those who mistreat you. Because he says, you're important. You're made in God's image. You're important to him. You have inherent dignity. So Peter isn't giving slavery the thumbs up. And okay, he's not calling for it here to be abolished, but we've just got to be realistic. Where are we in the point of history? Well, back then, it wouldn't have made sense for Peter to call for slavery to be abolished. Uh, Christians were a tiny, tiny minority. No one listened to them. Uh, slavery was deeply, deeply embedded into Roman society, so it would have been unrealistic. And actually, as I said, by teaching the inherent equality of all human uh, beings, honor everyone. He is, in fact, planting seeds of change. And it's this high view of slaves, which many centuries later, uh, Christians like Wilberforce uh, uh, were encouraged, used, and, and shaped their ideas, encouraging them to campaign successfully for the abolition of the slave trade. But let's just come back to Peter's headline. Live good lives by not fighting back when you're mistreated. What does this mean? Well, let me begin by firstly outlining what this doesn't mean, especially for us as we think about the workplace, especially. Uh, this doesn't mean that you can't ever resign from your job. Uh, first, the first century slave-master relationship, it's not the same as the 21st century employer-employee relationship. It doesn't map on perfectly. So if you're a mistreated employee, um, unlike first century uh, slaves, you've got the right to resign. 
Now, I appreciate that might not always be easy, and that might be, that might be very costly, but the Bible doesn't require you to stay put in a job if you don't want to. This doesn't mean you can't resign. More than that, it doesn't mean you can't raise concerns with your boss. Actually, in some workplaces, you might even be expected to raise your concerns about mistreatment. So if your, if your line manager is mistreating you or discriminating against you, it might be expected that you would go to the top dog and raise that. And this doesn't mean that you should keep quiet if someone treats you unlawfully. If you're in a circumstance where at work someone is beating you, perhaps, or paying you under the minimum wage or discriminating against you, in such cases, submission to authority, it might, mean, it might well mean escalating things. It might even, in extreme circumstances, mean picking up the phone to the police. So whilst this will always mean speaking with respect, it doesn't mean you can't resign. It doesn't mean you can't raise concerns. It doesn't mean you should just keep quiet if someone is treating you unlawfully. It doesn't mean those things. What might this mean, though, for us? Well, I guess this means resisting the urge to give others a piece of our mind. Resisting the urge to get even. Resisting the urge to give someone a taste of their own medicine. It will mean remembering that everyone has bad days. And remembering that we don't always know why someone is the way they are. It'll mean remembering that even harsh bullies without excuse are at the end of the day still people made in God's image, even if they don't recognize that about others. What might it mean for those scenarios I mentioned at the start? Well, I guess when the boss dumps all that extra work on you, it might mean uh, staying late and trying to get all of that extra work done, even doing it to the best of your ability. When in the appraisal and getting unfair comments, gross exaggerations, it might mean uh, disagreeing with the conclusions, but doing so with measured language and fair comments. Or it might mean saying nothing at all and just taking it on the chin. When we're on email and we get that aggressive, unfair email, it might mean uh, just leaving it for a bit, if that's possible, praying for that person, and then seeking to respond graciously. On the road, it might just mean pulling over and letting them go past, maybe even praying for them. Who knows? We don't know whether his wife is in labor or whether... His business is about to go under and he's highly stressed for that reason. We don't know. But whatever the scenario, Peter says, when you're treated unfairly, don't fight back. This is part of what it means to live a good and attractive life. But if this teaching is beginning to feel a little bit like a noose around your neck, and you think, how, how on earth am I going to do this? Well, listen in to Peter's reasons. He gives us here in this passage at least three reasons, and reasons are so important as we think about uh, doing what God wants us to do. Why should we 
uh, not fight back when mistreated? Well, firstly, uh, God will reward you. God will reward you. Verses 19 and 20. Peter says, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, Peter is really clear that he's speaking here of people who are mistreated, those who are treated unfairly. And if you get, your, if you get the sack because your work is shoddy and you, take, and you take that on the chin, I think Peter says, well, don't expect the medal. How is that to your credit? But if you take it on the chin when you're treated unfairly, well, what's God's response to that? Well, it is commendable before God. In other words, like a proud parent, God sees your response. And whilst, of course, concerned for your circumstances and welfare, he bristles with pride. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Yes, that's how to do it. It is commendable before God. And of course, whatever God commands, he rewards. You know, as we think about heaven and rewards in heaven, we don't know exactly how rewards in heaven are going to be distributed. Uh, they will certainly be gracious, uh, but we don't know how they're going to be distributed, whether there will be a, an award ceremony or some kind of special handing over of responsibility. But what is sure is that right at the front of the line, first to receive their rewards will be believers who, though mistreated, refused to fight back. Don't fight back when treated unfairly. God will reward you. And secondly, second reason for not fighting back is it's what Jesus did at verses 21 to 23. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As we know, Jesus was innocent. He committed no sin. Even under trial, under Pontius Pilate, he recognized as much this man is innocent. And yet they treated Jesus appallingly. So before the, the, Han, the Sanhedrin, some people spat at him. They blindfolded him. They punched him and mocked him, prophesied. Or think of the Roman guards, they, they dressed him in purple, they put a crown of thorn on his head, and then called out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, bowing in mock homage. Or you think about it on the cross, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked Jesus. He saved others, but he couldn't even save himself. You know, when we get mistreated... At points, we, it's very easy to lose perspective and to feel like what's happening to us is the greatest uh, miscarriage of justice in the history of the world. We can feel like that. 
But what they did to Jesus really was the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. To condemn to death by crucifixion someone so perfect and so righteous, it really was the most galling, unfair, unjust trial in the history of the world. And yet, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. No muttering of uh, curses under his breath. No standing up for his rights. Nothing. And he did so as an example to us. We're called to follow in his footsteps and to embody the cross to a watching world. How was Jesus able to do that? Well, verse 23 tells us, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, rather than fighting his own corner, he left things in God's hands, trusting God to vindicate him, trusting God to right the wrongs that were being done against him. So yes, Jesus stood up for the truth, and yes, Jesus stood up for others, but when it came to himself, he refused, instead entrusting himself to God. And again, that's part of his example to us. We are to stand up for the truth, absolutely. We are to stand up for others. But we, we're not to fight our own corner because we too have an all-seeing, all-knowing Father who can be trusted to bring perfect justice and right every wrong. Why should we live like this? Well, it's, it's how Jesus lived. It's what Jesus did. And he's our example. But then third and final reason, why should we live like this? Well, it's why Jesus died, thirdly. And we were thinking with the children earlier on how Jesus saved us so that we might obey. Just listen again to those verses, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now I have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And what we see here is that Christ died for us, not just to take the penalty for our sin, but also to change us. He died not only to win our forgiveness, but also so that we might, we might be transformed, not only to spare us hell in the future, but also that we might be spared a life of sin in the present, that we might be unshackled from slavery to sin. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. For what purpose? Why did he do that? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And specifically in this context, we're told that Jesus died for us so that we might die to the pride which fuels revenge. He died for our sins so that we might die to giving them a piece of my mind and giving as good as I get. And so that we might live to righteousness, uh, live, for, live, live patiently and humbly 
acting with Christ-like dignity in the face of insults. So this is all part of Jesus' purpose in dying for us. So what have we said? We've said, um, don't fight back when treated unfairly because God will reward us because it's what Jesus did and he's our example and because it's, well, it's, it's why Jesus died. He died to redeem us out of, uh, from, from this way of living. But just as we close, we just got to remember again that living this way, as difficult as it is, can be hugely persuasive for the gospel. And I think this is amazingly empowering because sometimes I think we, we, we think, uh, I've got to get to the top. I've got to get to the top before I can make a difference for God. I've got to become manager, or I've got to become CEO, or I've got to become a head teacher, or I've got to become a mayor. I've got to be well-known and respected and listened to before I can make a difference for the gospel. You know, if, I, if, I were a, if only I were a boss, then I could use a platform for the gospel. Influential people, Christian people who do that. But actually, this is teaching us that we don't need to be at the top before we can make a difference for the gospel. Because this teaches us that whoever we are, however low your position, however invisible you are in the eyes of the world, however uninspiring perhaps you find your work, you can make a difference with the gospel. You can present a powerful witness for Jesus by embodying the cross, by imitating Christ at the point where he is most distinctive. That is, by not fighting back when treated unfairly. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we recognize just how radical this teaching is. We know in our experience how difficult it is. We recognize before you our failings in this area. And we thank you for Christ who died for us to forgive us. Please, by your spirit, would you help us and change us. Help us to be Christ-like when we are mistreated. Help us, therefore, to embody the cross, to point to him, and to be a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.